Lord, thank you so much for your love, your mercy you've shown to us. Thank you for uh, giving us your word. You did not have to speak, and yet you did. As Ruth read in Psalm 19, um, your word is so kind and so good and so amazing. Um, and so we thank you for it. Uh, we, Lord, we pray that you would bless our time. Holy Spirit, come now. Speak through me. Teach us all, including me. Uh, and also, Lord, I pray for Scott. Um, I pray for Northside. Thank you for them. I thank you for their partnership in the gospel in the city. Thank you for how you're using them. Uh, pray that you continue to use them. I pray that they just have an evangelism explosion and that many people meet Jesus all over this city because of Northside Baptist. Thank you for them. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to read uh, James 2. If you're able to stand, I'd love for you to stand as we read the word. If you can't, that's fine. Uh, but we're going to read James 2 verses 1 through 13. After I read, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. You'll say, thanks be to God. And so you're thanking the Lord that he spoke, that he actually gave us his word. But also let the thanks be to God be for you a, a, a way to serve for you to, that you're saying, God, the things that you show me today, I want to say yes to. I want to be obedient to. I want to do. So chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you look at the poor man, he say, you stand over there or you sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen among those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But... You have dishonored the poor man. Are not rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Hope everyone is uh, recuperating from puke week this past week. Puke Mageddon. I don't know if y'all had it. It was around our our house. We had four. We had four down, uh, and I hear that most families had had people down. I think it was all over Rock Hill. I keep hearing stories of people that don't even come here. But uh, anyway, I don't know what that was, but. Um, if you hear that there are people throwing up in Rock Hill, stay away from them because I hear it's bad. Ford went down in my house and it was, it was nasty. Um, anyway, so we are here in James 2 and I want to I remind us what's going on. So last week, whenever we were looking at the end of James chapter 1, uh, what we saw was that he told us that we are not to be not just hearers of the word, but doers. And so we, we talked about how we need to be hearers first and be really good hearers of not just other people, but explicitly the word is what he tells us in 19 through 21. Be good hearers. So when we say be hearers, uh, don't just be hearers, but doers. We do emphasize in verses 19 and 20, uh, 21, that we actually have to be great hearers of the word. And that's done through reading. And then after that, we're told to be doers. And we see that in 22 down to 25, that Jesus wants us to be people who are constantly doing things um, and being obedient to what he says. And then when you get to verse 26 and 
through 27, he gives some examples. Three tangible examples. There's hundreds in the Bible. But James gives three tangible examples of what being a doer looks like. This is what being a doer looks like. It's someone that bridles their tongue. That's in verse 26. It's also someone that cares for the poor and needy among you. That's verse 27. And then uh, it's also someone, in verse, also in verse 27, someone that keeps themselves unstained from the world. Now that can be principally broadened out to being a person that, that pursues holiness. I'm keeping myself unstained from the world. But uh, logically, as you follow verse 27, because he's talking about being poor and needy, he's, he's saying being unstained from the world is being the kind of person that doesn't take advantage economically of poor people. And so in context, James immediately means keeping yourself unstained from the world is not uh, oppressing economically poor people. And then I said, uh, for the rest of the book, really, he's going to talk about those things. He's going to explain more about bridling the tongue, explain more about oppressing poor people, explain more about caring for what is an orphans, explain more about just being a person that keeps yourself unstained from the world. So as we go into verse Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1 in the book of James. Now he's going to uh, broaden out a little bit uh, and really drive home uh, the idea of uh, being kind towards poor people, helping poor people, and what that doesn't look like. So today, uh, as we're looking at it, it's the point of the verse. It's it's really plain. It's really simple. I, I, this, this is a short, short sermon. It was pretty short in, in first service because you can only drive home uh, the point of the text, which is really, really easy to get for so long. So here we go. You can get it right here. Here's the point of the text. Here's the memory verse of the week. It's really simple. It's the uh, third, fourth, and fifth word of the first verse. My brothers. And then it hit, here it is. Show no partiality. That's the whole, te- that's the whole point of the text. All, all the verses we're going to read. Don't show favoritism. Show no partiality. So that's the way. And so what he's going to do, um, he's, going to, he's going to start with that in verse 1. And then he kind of broadens out why it happens. So I'll show you in reverse the big idea and how he narrows it down on that. So if you look at James chapter 2 verse 12, here's the big picture idea of the way he w- wants us all to live. You can see, so act and so speak as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. That's verse 212. So in, in the biggest, broadest way to say it is, so act and so speak as people who are being judged under the law of liberty. Live your life, speak, talk, live, do um, in ways that you're going to actually be people that are going to be judged by the commands of God. So obey God's commands. That's basically what he's saying. And then he's going to narrow it down for a little bit mid-range in verse chapter 2 verse 8. And he's going to say a way that you can do that is by obeying the The command that Jesus says all the time, love your neighbor as yourself. That's verse 8. So the big principle is in verse 12. Now, the way he argues it, he starts narrow and he broadens it out to verse 12. But I'm going backwards right now. Verse 12, obey all the commands of God. One of those is love your neighbor as yourself. And one way that you can do that, and he he narrows it in on verse 1, is show no partiality. Don't show favoritism. And then the rest of all verses 113 is him giving you arguments and reasons about why God forbids partiality. Why God forbids favoritism. He doesn't want you to do that. So um, let's look at the show no partiality verse and then we're going to see the reasons why we don't show favoritism. So when you see this show no partiality, this is not a hypothetical problem for James 
This is not a hypothetical problem for the church in the first century that James is writing to. Um, it was a real problem. People were showing favoritism towards people who were wealthy. It's also not a hypothetical problem for the 21st century church. Not a, not a hypothetical problem whatsoever. Um, and what he's saying is that partiality or favoritism is the definition that is when one thinks or when a person thinks that someone is worth more than someone else. They're actually worth more than someone else. And I don't mean uh, in a fiduciary, is that the right word? In, in a financial way. I don't mean it, that some people actually might be worth more financially than someone else. I get that. But I'm talking about in, in the inherent dignity, value, and worth. That you should never think that someone is actually worth more than someone else. And so showing partiality or showing favoritism is thinking that someone is worth more. Partiality, favoritism is evil. And it's called so in uh, verse 4. It's an evil thought to do that. It's wicked and it's unchristian. It's not a Christian way to live. And James is pointing it out that in the first century, he's warning this, this church... To not look like the world here. To, as he says in verse 27, to keep yourself unstained from the world and its practices down in chapter 2. And that's by not looking like the world and saying, well, that person's more important and worth more than that person because of their financial status. He's saying that if the world thinks that someone is important and the church does that too, and conversely, if the world thinks that someone is worth less and the church also does that, then the church is partaking in a great evil and acting like the world. And the church shouldn't do that. The church should never, ever look like the world in this, in this way. And so that's what showing partiality is. It's showing favoritism. Now, in the text, James is going to use an example of showing favoritism towards people who are rich over people who are poor. That's his example, and that's the way I'm going to preach the text. However, obviously, you could pick a lot of different ways to uh, think how we could show favoritism. It doesn't have to be on financial status. It could be on a billion different things. Well, that's maybe not a billion, but a lot of different things that we could show favoritism towards people based on something versus something else. Um, but James is going to use money. And so let's see here in the text... Uh, Seven reasons why God forbids, forbids partiality or forbids favoritism. Now you're thinking seven, oh, three and you're like an hour. Listen, these are fast. These are fast. I got done early first service. So um, you're going to ha- be at lunch still after all the other churches, but you're going to be there earlier than normal. All right. So um, here we go. The first reason is in verse one. It is in verse one. And this might be. One of the most profound reasons is given to us there um, in verse 1. So he tells us, show no partiality. That's the whole point. And here's the first reason. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. These won't be on the, on the, on the screen. I just want you to listen today. These are, these are pretty straightforward. They're all in the text. So you don't have to write them down. Um, the fir- first one's there in verse 1. So first reason why God opposes partiality is because partiality or favoritism opposes faith in Jesus. You can see it right there in the text. Show no partiality as you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So if you are doing that, if you're showing favoritism or partiality, you're actually opposing faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You're opposing that. And so here in chapter 2, verse 1, James refers to his brother, Jesus for the second time in this, in this book and the, and the last time as Jesus Christ, 
the Lord of glory. And so the emphasis that he's putting on here is the word glory. And it's embodied in the person of Jesus. And what he's saying is this. And the reason why he's emphasizing glory is he's saying that Christians should uh, put the glory on Jesus. Whenever they have faith in him, they should put the glory on Jesus. And so partiality or favoritism is forbidden because instead of giving Jesus the glory, you're giving the wealthy person the glory. And it's not the wealthy person's honor. It's not the wealthy person's place to receive glory from you. Jesus should receive glory from you. No one else. And so you're, you're giving glory to someone else that doesn't deserve it. And so God forbids partiality. God forbids favoritism because you're uh, giving the human glory to someone uh, that isn't Jesus. And so you shouldn't do that. John Piper looks at this and says, James' point is, if you know Christ as the Lord of glory, if you trust him as the one who's gloriously strong, gloriously wise, gloriously loving, then you won't be controlled by this craving for human glory for yourself or to give to others or by a fear that causes us to be show partiality or to show favoritism to other people just so we can be safe. Christ will be your glory. Christ will be the only one you want to give glory to. All the glory you need. And Christ will be your security and all the security you need. So the first reason why he forbids partiality is because we are putting our faith in Christ Jesus, the Lord of glory. He's the one that receives glory, not other people, not especially the rich. And when he says, hold the faith, that's an interesting phrase, right? That's an interesting phrase uh, for the New Testament. Hold the faith. He tells us to hold the faith. So James began by speaking about the evils of partiality by tying it directly to our faith and saying, we, the people, have our faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. People that have real faith in Christ don't show partiality, don't show favoritism to people. David Platt says it this way. You do not honor the wealthy because they're rich in money. Instead, you honor, give glory to the Lord Jesus because he is rich in glory. So the first reason that God forbids favoritism, God forbids partiality is because it's glory sharing and only Jesus should receive the glory. That's the first one. That's in verse one. The second one is in verses two through four. You can see it. Uh, So in in verses two and three, James is going to enter into his example, enter into his illustration. He's told us not to show partiality. There's a billion ways he could go. And now in verse two and three, he's going to go the direction of favoring rich people over poor people. And he's going to say, for example, here it is four. If a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and the poor man wearing shabby clothing also comes in and you pay great attention to the one who's wearing fine clothing and say, hey, you sit in the good place while you're looking at the poor man. You say, you stand over there, you sit over there down at my feet and you don't get the good place. You take the back row, you get away from where all the people are because you smell bad, you look weird, we don't want you here. So if that's the case, he's saying that's wrong. That's not what you should do. And then he, when he poses the scenario in verses two and three, he asks a direct question in verse four. See the direct question. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So the second reason in verses two through four, that we, that James or God tells us that we should oppose or that, uh, showing favoritism is forbidden is because it reveals in us a judging heart and behind that judging heart is evil thinking. Now, Matthew 7 tells us, judge not lest you be judged. And we've already gone through that in coffee cup verses. We know that judging in some senses is not, is not wrong. 
But the evil judge, or judging, a judging heart that has evil thinking behind it is wrong. And so the reason why he forbids it here is because it leads us to have a judging heart with evil thoughts. And so we don't want to be the kind of people that are doing this. This is not what the church should do. The type of evil thinkings that James, that James is warning the church is this. And I want to make sure I'm clear here. Because we're not saying uh, church as in an entity or an organization. We can easily uh, dehumanize ourselves or take ourselves out of it and say, Yeah, the church, that church over there, that entity, that organization thinks evilly about Evilly? It thinks wrongly. I'm going to say evilly and we're going to pretend it's a word. Um, evilly about the way that they, they think about people. And that's not right. The church is not an organization. The church is the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. It's the people. So when we talk about church, don't categorize it as, the, as, as, as an organization or an entity. Always personalize it because we're the church. We're the church. We're the ones that should not have a judging heart and behind it having evil thinking. So this kind of evil thinking that James is warning the people, the people is this, that we must take great care not to think of wealthy unbelievers or wealthy believers as being more important of ministry than poor unbelievers or poor believers. Christ died for us to take all of our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. That verse, when I first read it, I don't know how many years ago, 20 years ago, blew my mind. Because we have like 30,000 thoughts. I've Googled it at one point. 70,000 thoughts a day. I don't know how many we have. And he told us in 2 Corinthians 10.5 that we can literally take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In Christ, we can do that. And so here we're commanded that we don't have judging hearts with evil thinking behind it. That we are to have... Um, the kind of thoughts that are being taken captive to the obedience of Christ. And so if we are being partial, if we are being favor- showing favorites, then we actually have evil thinking behind it. And this means that treating a poor man or a poor mo- woman differently than a rich man or a rich woman as they enti- enter our church demonstrates that we don't have a heart like Christ and that we don't have thinking like Christ's. And that can't be the case. So we have to as it commands us here to treat them the same, not because we have to, but because we want to. So this means uh, and we can make it real practical here. This means that in this building, the way it's laid out, when people walk into our building, into our, to our lobby or into this room, they're going to come into one that whoever they are, no matter how rich or poor they look like, we go to them and we'd make it a practice in our heart, not just to go to the people that look and feel comfortable for us, but the uncomfortable people to us because that's evil thinking behind it. If we only gravitate naturally towards the people that make us feel comfortable, we should not show partiality. He tells us that that's wrong. That's in verses two and four. That's the second reason. The third reason is in verse five. This kind of blew my mind when I thought about it. Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? So the third reason why God forbids partiality or why God forbids showing favoritism is because it seemingly contradicts all of the way that God's 
redemptive history has been unfolding. Meaning that if you look at redemptive history over the last 2,000 years, the people that God is more by and large saving are poor people, not rich people. And so if you oppose poor people and favor rich people, you're actually going against the way that God is seemingly rolling out all of redemptive history. Because by and large, over the last 2,000 years, more people that are poor are meeting Jesus than rich. And so that we don't, you don't show favoritism towards rich people because you're by and large going against the way that God is um, rolling out redemptive history because he's chosen many of the poor to be for himself more so than the rich. Jesus tells us it's hard for a, a man to walk through the eye of a needle than for a poor man, a camel to walk through an eye of a needle than for uh, a rich man to be saved. And so now, it's not saying that rich people aren't getting saved. They are. And I've said this last week. Um, in America, especially, everyone in this room, even though you might not feel like it, you're actually part of the richest people in the world. You know, if you uh, are going to eat today, especially if you're going to eat three times today, you're one of the richest people in the world. And so, obviously, that means rich people are meeting Jesus, right? They are. But all over the world over the last 2,000 years, people don't have the kind of money that we have. They just don't. And so the large portion of people that are being saved are people who are poor. And so if you're showing favoritism just to rich people and just trying to minister to rich people and just trying to reach rich people, then you're actually totally neglecting or turning a blind eye to the way that redemption history has been happening over the last 2,000 years. Most of the people that meet Jesus have been uh, poor couple examples uh, of God's heart for poor people. One in the Old Testament, one in the New. Psalm 68.10, God, you provided for the poor by your goodness. Uh, Galatians 2.10 in the New Testament. This is Paul writing about the, uh, he had some conversations with some of the apostles and they're saying, Paul, we want you to reach poor people. And Paul's like, I love reaching poor people. Galatians 2.10, that they asked what I would remember the poor, which I already make every effort to do. And so we see that God has deep love for poor people and that he is, throughout all of redemptive history, reached out to them. So God shows his grace to poor people in magnificent ways. As a matter of fact, as it says in verse 5, namely, he does this. You can see it. God has chosen the poor in the, to, in the world to be, here it is, rich in faith. They, not, they might not have a lot of money, but God explains their salvation by saying, even though they're poor financially, they're rich in faith. So he's showing grace to them in an absolute amazing way. And James is saying, by neglecting the poor people around you, neglecting to minister to, care for, invite them in, be a part of our family, talk to them, be around them, get to know them, befriend them, be their friend forever. Um, by doing that, you're ne- by neglect- neglecting poor people, you're neglecting the grace that actually lies at the heart of God. Because he says that they're rich in faith. If you know people that are believers that don't have as much money as you, I bet you will notice, or at least you'll think to yourself, man, they seem to have a lot more faith in God than I do. If you can't say amen, you got to say ouch. Like that's, that's how I feel. That's definitely how I feel. So God has made them rich in faith and therefore neglecting them, not ministering them, you miss out on seeing the richness of their faith. You miss out on seeing it. Now, in the first century, as James is writing, let's not miss this. The majority of Christians were poor. They weren't rich. It wasn't like North America right now. 
It wasn't probably what until Constantine was that fourth century that that they were actually able to worship without getting killed. And so maybe they started having a little bit higher status in society and maybe started making money. But for the first 400 years, Christians were poor people, very poor. And so uh, James is writing to people who are poor and he's telling them when you're having your meetings and people are coming in, don't get all giddy when the rich people come in and just hang out with them and neglect people that are just like you. Don't do that. And so he's saying that uh, you're to look to all kinds of people that God is calling to the faith. And that's usually, in large part, if we're looking at history, going to be the poor people, not people that have money. So don't overlook the poor. When you do that, you're actually overlooking God's hand. You're opposing the nature of the gospel itself because every single one of us are actually poor spiritually. We're all poor spiritually. Uh, one commentator says this, uh, his name's Sam Alberry. He's writing about the physical poor and reminding us that everybody that's physically poor is really a, a, a picture for us all to remember that we were all poor spiritually before we met Christ. He says this, it's therefore fitting that God should be choosing many from among the poor to be believers. Their very low economic status is a visual aid for all of us where all people are before God, before faith. It is fitting that nobodies are coming to Christ for Christ himself became an ultimate nobody for our sake. His cross is a symbol of weakness and poverty. Second Corinthians eight, nine says, for, you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich yet for our sake, he became poor so that through his poverty on the cross, you might become rich as James 2, 5 would say, in faith. And so poor people are a visual aid for us to remind us that every single one of us are bankrupt spiritually, deeply poverty, poor spiritually. Words are easy sometimes. Anyway, not easy. So it seems appropriate that those whom the message of the cross is to be spread are then the predominantly poor. It seems, it seems evident. It seems appropriate that that's the way that would happen. And as Calvin goes on, Calvin is looking at this and he says, and just a reminder to all who are being called to the cross, all who are being called to Christ, whether you're rich or poor, no matter who you are, you should be humble. He says it this way. In short, though God pours forth his grace on the rich in common with the poor, he does call all, um, yet it is his will to prefer these to those poor to rich, um, that the mighty might learn not to flatter themselves. Rich people might not learn to flatter themselves and that the ignoble or the poor people might also, uh, and the obscure might not ascribe all that they are, but they would ascribe all they are to the mercy of God. And that both of them, here it is, might be trained up to meekness and humility. And so the gospel trains every one of us, whether we're poor or rich financially to remind us that we're all bankrupt and poor spiritually. And every one of us should be humble before Christ. And so the third reason given to us in the text that God forbids partiality is that you're actually going against what would be the large portion of how redemptive history is being rolled out to us. The next one is in verse six. It's just that first sentence. We're going to look at six B after that, but six A, the very first sentence is this, but you have dis, but you have dishonored the poor man Just stop there. If you show favoritism or partiality towards rich people, he tells you in verse 6a that you have dishonored the poor man. So the fourth reason that God forbids partiality is you dishonor people made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, we've said this many times, Genesis 1.27, uh, 
not just God the Father, but God the Son and God the Spirit, all present at creation. Because it says, let us, let us. So the Trinity is present. And he said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. This means that every human being alive right now is made in the image of God. So let us make man in our image. This means man above every other thing in creation, the horses and the dogs and crocodiles and whatever, like every animal. Man is actually the crown jewel of all creation because none of them are made in the image of God. None of them them have that, but we do. And so since we are made in the image of God, this means that every human is made in the Latin, the imago Dei. Every human is made in the image of God, which means this, that every person on the planet, no matter how old they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what year they were born, no matter what country they live in, every person on the planet all have equal inherent dignity, value, and worth. And so if you treat rich people better than poor people, then you dishonor poor people who are made in the image of God. You dishonor the imago Dei in them. You've dishonored them. And it's offense against God to dishonor the imago Dei or dishonor a human made in the image of God. And so as Christians, we should deeply care, deeply care about treating someone in such a way that we would not ever want to dishonor them. It's treating them like they don't matter. It's like the world, like he was talking about the world does. It's treating them like they aren't somebody, but that they're only somebody if they have money. And that's not true. They are somebody, they are people, and they are counted as people, and they are counted as important because they are made in the Imago Dei. They are made in the image of God. And so Jesus told us in Philippians 2.4 to count others as more significant than yourself. Every person, no matter who they are. That's Philippians 2.4. And so the fourth reason that uh, partiality is forbidden is because you dishonor men and women made it and created in the image of God. The next reason is in verse 6, right after that, and 7. And so... Uh, what he's going to do here in, in the second 6B and 7, he's going to say, you dishonor the poor man. And then he's going to, uh, this, is, this might be a first century problem, but nevertheless, it is a deal. He's going to say, don't you remember that whenever uh, poor people are around you, that they do this and they do that. I mean, whenever rich people are around you, they do this and they do this and do this. What are you doing? Why would you show favoritism to them when they do these things? And these things are bad things. So uh, you can see it here in verse 6B through 7. Are not the rich... The ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court, are they, the rich, not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? So these rich people that you're just so enamored over and think are great, aren't they the ones that oppress you? Aren't they the ones that take you to court? Aren't they the ones that blaspheme the name of Jesus? And you're really like going crazy about these people? So the, what are we at? Number five, the fifth reason... That, he's, that God forbids partiality is because showing partiality to the rich in this way can actually backfire and lead your life to ruin. Can lead your life to ruin because they're, they're, oppose, they're oppressing you. They're taking you to court. They're blaspheming your king. That, that's bad for you to be taken to a court and to oppress. But remember, most of these people in the first century were poor. And so when a rich person came in, they're all excited. And he's like, wait a second. Uh, don't you remember that Whenever they come in and you're going crazy over them, they're the ones that actually oppress you. Why are you showing favoritism to people that hurt you? That doesn't make any sense. Now, let's be uh, sure up front here because you're like, wait a second, I, I don't do that. Um, clearly, 
there are rich people in the world and have been rich people in the last 2,000 years that aren't going to be categorized in this verse 6 through 7 of people that oppress, take people to court, and blaspheme in the name of Jesus. There are moral, Christ-following rich people that don't do this. But as Calvin points out, what he's saying, and what he's, he, Calvin points this out, what James is saying here is that for the most part, when you talk in general terms about man, the way that the human condition is, especially those that are outside of Christ, for the most part, as people gain power and money, the worse they become and the more unjust they act towards their neighbor. That's true. That's true. Just look at people around you in this country, or really all over the world, that have power. As they gain more, especially when they don't know Jesus, they become worse people. And that's what he's trying to say. And you're going crazy about these rich people. Don't you know that when they come in, they're going to oppress you? They're going to blaspheme your king? They're going to take you to court? And so the fifth reason he uh, forbids it, or at least says that you shouldn't do this, is because... Uh, they actually can backfire and lead your life to ruin. Now, James is not saying, therefore, just start hating all rich people. <laughs> they need Jesus too. Every person needs Jesus. And so they also have the Imago Dei. And so you want to care for them and you want to love them. He's just pointing out the irony and putting your hopes in them as people that, that are now part of the ch- church and fellowship. He's pointing out the irony whenever they usually on the large part are the ones that actually end up oppressing you. And he's pointing that out. All right, so that's the fifth reason. The sixth one is starting at verse 8 all the way to 12. All the way to verse 12. It's kind of a lengthy text or passage, four verses, five. Five, math was easy. Um, so five verses here on, on the sixth point. And you can tell us, uh, basically, it, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a grave sin. You're sinning against the law, but you can see it here. Are you, if you really fulfill the royal law, this is the, he calls this the royal law. And this is because... King Jesus quoted this. Um, So he's calling Jesus a king. He's saying he's the king. And he's calling it the royal law. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's Leviticus 19, 18 in the Old Testament. And it's one of the commands that King Jesus quoted more than any other command um, when he was alive. And so James takes note of that as Jesus lived. And he said, man, my brother Jesus, my older brother Jesus really quoted, love your neighbor as yourself a lot. A lot. Seems like he, he quoted that more than any other command from the Old Testament when he was alive. I'm going to call that the royal law because King Jesus quoted a lot. And he says, so if you keep this royal law, if you fulfill this royal law, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. That's good. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of it. So basically saying if you are ministering to and caring for rich people, that's good. But if you're neglecting the poor, you're not keeping all of it. And when you don't keep all of it, you break all of it. So you might be loving your neighbor, but you have to love every neighbor, not just the neighbors you select. He's going to give a, a little bit more of a, of a concrete example in verse 10 and 11 here. He's going to pick two sins, and you can see how he, how he teases it out in, in verses 10 and 11. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of it all. If you, if you keep all of the law except for something, you break all of the law. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you commit adultery... 
but if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. Just picture it and you're in the courtroom and you're like, God, I mean, God, judge. I guess it could be the same thing. You're standing in front of the judge and you're like, listen, I should not be guilty here. Yes, I murdered that person, but I have never committed adultery. They're going to be like, it doesn't matter. You broke the law. You're, you're guilty. Um, uh, one commentator was saying, uh, as an example, like when he was a kid, he was recalling this story about when he threw a rock at a, at a window and he broke it and he broke part of the window, but the rest was there. And he's like, no, look, all the window, the rest of the window's there. And he's like, no, you broke the window. The whole window has to be replaced. And so it's the same kind of principle. It's the same kind of analogy. When you break the law and you might keep some of it, but when you break part of it, you break all the law. In other words, law breaking causes you to be a sinner. And so you don't want to do that. And so you break, as he says here in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. Keep, speak and act. When he calls the law of liberty, remember in James 125, he called it the law of liberty. And that was his kind of big, broad way to talk about the Bible. And he's saying, he calls the Bible, the scriptures for him would be the Old Testament, the law of liberty. And so it's interesting that he would refer to the Bible as law, but because we've talked about this, James is a straight shooter. This is what you need to do kind of person like obey, obey and be the kind of person that obeys. Uh, so he would look at the Bible. Of course it's gospel, but it also has as, as gospel followers rules or commandments or things that we're supposed to do now as believers, not to earn salvation, but to give evidence that we have salvation, but that's the way James thinks. And so he's telling us here, uh, that you're supposed to act you're supposed to speak. You're supposed to talk and do and be the kind of people that obey the law of liberty. Obey the Bible. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to obey the Bible. And so you don't show partiality because here's the sixth. I'll, I'll sum it up for you. Here's the sixth reason why uh, showing partiality or showing favoritism is forbidden by God. Because you break the royal law and you break the law of liberty. You break Jesus's law in verse 8. Love your neighbors yourself. And you break the Bible. You just don't obey the Bible. And if you break one, you, you've disobeyed all of it. So you sin against the royal law. You sin against the law of liberty. So showing favoritism is forbidden because you break Jesus' command, Leviticus 19, 18. But you also really break all of it. Because if you do all the things that are in the Bible except for one, you're still guilty of it all. So we still need salvation from Jesus holistically from our, we need a new heart. And so basically James is telling us this selective obedience to a command is disobedience to the whole Bible. Selective obedience to a command is disobedience to the whole Bible. Failing to love our neighbors in the way that God requires us to love our neighbors is breaking God's law, rich or poor. But as James here is saying, those who are poor. And so the sixth reason why God forbids partiality is because you sin against the royal law and the law of liberty. Lastly, verse 13, the seventh reason for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. The judgment that we get from God in the final day will be without mercy if you have been the kind of person that has never shown mercy. If you don't show mercy to people, the judgment you receive from God will also be that same way. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the seventh reason here that partiality is forbidden is because being partial towards people or showing favoritism is not being merciful. If you don't show mercy to people, 
then ultimately you'll perish. The meaning here is plain. I'll say it this way. Uh, last week or two weeks ago or some point, uh, I said that James, uh, as he writes this book, obviously he's heavily influenced by Jesus, but he's heavily influenced by the Sermon on the Mount of Jesus, Matthew 5 through 7. And so here uh, it's based on the words of Jesus uh, in, in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's the principle that he's given here. That's the point here. If we don't show mercy, then we haven't known Christ. If you show favoritism, it's a demonstration that you aren't merciful. And it's also further, possibly a demonstration that you don't know Jesus. And even further, a demonstration that likely you will perish in your sin. So showing favoritism can ultimately lead to your death. Mercy, being merciful, defines the gospel for us. Christ loved us when we were unlovely in his sight. Romans 5, 8, when we were actually enemies to him. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, when we were actually worshiping the prince of the power of the air, when we were devil worshipers. We hated him. We couldn't stand him. We were totally, totally unlovable. We were unlovely in his sight. And Christ still loved us in our poverty spiritually. So mercy defines the gospel. Christ loved us when we were unlovely in his sight. Therefore, we are to be the exact same towards the people in this world that are like that. He gave his promises to us that we didn't deserve. He showered us with blessings that we never, ever, ever could have earned. Having treated us this way, we should then therefore instinctively treat others the exact same way that Christ has has treated us. He showed you and I infinite mercy in the gospel. By calling us to himself. Because we were poor spiritually. Therefore we should be just like Jesus. And show mercy to the poor around us. And so mercy defines the gospel. So the seventh reason it's forbidden is because it's not a demonstration of mercy. And we're to be merciful people. Piper says it this way. A Christian is a person who has seen and tasted and lives on lives on the mercy of Christ. If there's no mercy in our lives, if we show partiality because of riches or race and come to no remorse and no repentance, we don't know him and we will perish. He's saying if we, if we are showing favoritism to people who are rich, or if we are showing favoritism to people because they have a certain race that isn't ours, then we should have massive remorse and massive repentance if that's the kind of life we live. And if we don't have that, then we don't understand the mercy that, could, that is available to us in Christ. And likely we don't know Jesus and we will perish. But if we have tasted Jesus's mercy and truly treasure it and live in the liberty of this love, then we will show mercy to other people. And that mercy will be the evidence of our faith, which carries us through that final judgment where we say, show me mercy, Christ, because I have. So the seventh reason that is given to us that we should not show favoritism is because since Christ has shown you mercy, you should as well to everybody. Now I've come to a new way to think about sermons and it's going to be my my new thing. I think that conclusions should be short. I know pastors always like in conclusion, that means another 35 minutes. That's not me anymore, right? When I say in conclusion, my thought besides this part of me telling you that conclusions should be short, conclusions should be short. And here's why. This is what I've come to. Content should be long. So I'm still a firm believer of content being long. But once I've run out of verses, I've run out of things that God's saying, then I should be quiet. 
<laughs> and so it's just me talking now. And so I'm just going to summarize those 13 verses uh, with, with three sentences. So my, my opinion now on sermons is contents long, conclusion short. So in conclusion, now it really counts. Here it is. We shouldn't show partiality or favoritism because we oppose Jesus and we oppose the gospel. Let's remember that we all were poor in spirit and we all are his image bearers and he saved us and showed us mercy. Therefore, we need to love our neighbors as ourselves and show mercy to all people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that you've been so kind to us. This is a direct a direct uh, text here. It, it's really easy to see the meaning. Don't show partiality. Don't show favoritism. Treat everyone made in the image of God the exact same. Don't... Uh, be unmerciful to people, but instead be like you, merciful to every people around us. No matter what they look like, no matter their financial status, uh, no matter they make us feel comfortable or uncomfortable, it doesn't matter. Because you have shown us mercy, that's the kind of people we should be. Not people that show partiality or favoritism. So help us, Lord. Help us embody this. Help us live this out. Help us be obedient to this. We want to, as verse 1 says... Live our lives to the glory of of Christ Jesus, the Lord of glory. Don't let us give glory to man, but live lives in such a way that give glory to you. And in this way, help us be obedient to this, Lord, because in the gospel, we were also poor. And yet you showed your uh, mercy towards us and called us to, to, uh, to you and forgave all of our sin. So, Lord, we thank you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.